Hello, Tome Show listeners. This is your Tome editor, Sam Dillon, and I am here to bring you exclusive Gen Con D&D audio. This is coming to you, just like in previous years, unedited and uncut. We hope you enjoy it, and if you like the show, please visit our Tome Show sponsor, Noble Knight Games, where Out of Print is available again. And if you visit their site, please tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Hodge may join us late. Okay. That's what I am told. So, we'll see. Uh, welcome to the Tuning Up Your Campaign panel, the second part of the campaign tune-up. No, the Cobalt Tune-Up. The What is the series called again? Tuna? Tune-Ups series, of which the prior one was Tuning Up Your Combat. Yes. I don't know why we use the same name for two panels, but this one is about not in particular how to deal uh, with combat, but how to deal with all the other things that go horribly wrong... Um, in a campaign. And, of course, that can be... Well, we're going to get into a lot of things. It can go horribly wrong because they've happened to me. Mm. It probably happened to you. My assumption is most of you here are uh, game masters in a fantasy RPG genre of some kind. Um, Yeah, most likely Pathfinder, 5th Edition, uh, maybe some Savage Worlds. No? Fate... Uh, fourth edition? Legend of the Five Rings. Five Rings. Oh. Shadowrun. Shadowrun. No. Okay. <laughs> Units so- and Masterminds. <laughs> okay. Lamentations of the Flame Princess. Uh, pla- <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Rifts, Palladium. Mm-hmm. Gerps, Gerps, anyone? Torg. 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 <laughs> we, have, we have a lot of Torg players. Oh, those <laughs> Could, of you in podcast Call, up, land, call of like Cthulhu, how about back. Vampire or, or White Wolf? White Wolf? Burning Wheel. All Burning right. Wheel, okay. We've got burners. All right, we've got everything. Um, so we're going to stay fairly general. We'll refer to some mechanics, of course, when we have something to recommend. Um, but let's introduce ourselves first. Hi, I'm Wolfgang Bauer from Cobalt Press. Um, I've written a lot of role-playing game material and published it to great delight. Uh, Aton Bernstein, I am currently doing, well, yeah, uh, a lot of work uh, for some for Cobalt Press, and also recently uh, a lot for uh, Frog God Necromancer on uh, Fifth Edition, sort of stuff. Yeah, sort compatible. of compatible. I don't know. You don't want to use that word. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, yeah, a couple of adventures um, and uh, other things. Um, but yeah, I've written a lot of stuff for Dungeons and Dragons, third, fourth. Forgotten Realms, you Forgotten Realms, uh, Articles, Dungeon, Dragon, Goodman, Green Ronin, uh, yes. Who haven't you worked with? Paizo, but that's about to change. Ah. Oh, very nice. All right. Uh, Well, good. So, yeah, we do this a lot. I am one of those people who has gone from year-long campaigns to running a lot more short arcs. Part of that is a function of i got to play test stuff. And part of it is um, I grow bored more easily than I used to. Um, and my players like swapping it out every year or so. Also, our third panelist is here, Mr. Brandon Hodge, Hello. who may introduce himself as well to Tome Show listeners. And um, my audience. name is Brandon Hodge. Uh, I got my start um, in this biz with Wolfgang here uh, in open design with the Halls of the Mountain King project. I've uh, since worked on the Midgard campaign setting, Deep Magic, and various works for Paizo, including Rasputin Must Die, uh-huh. and the new re- newly released Occult 
Adventures. All the magic came pretty good. You should buy it. Yeah. Occult Adventures pretty good. You should buy it. Yeah. yeah. Deep Magic's pretty good. You should buy it. You should. Mm-hmm. Like a love fest up here. All right. Um, so we're talking about tuning up your campaign, improving uh, the things that have gone off track. You started off so well in a little village called Hamlet, and then, then at some point, it got ugly. Right? Uh, players may not show up. Uh, plot lines got snarled. Um, you you feel a sense of drift and lack of direction in and perhaps dare we say bored boredom a lack of narrative through line and and how do we say anything happening other than sort of rote combat and counting of loot lack of control as a game master yeah does. lack of control as a game master someone's taken over your game to turn it into I don't know Minecraft the tabletop RPG <laughs> maybe the players aren't getting along yeah. with each other yeah tabletop uh, drama. conflict drama between players woo um those are all things that could go wrong I'm sure they haven't gone wrong to you but they've all happened to us right we've all had things go wrong in our games from time to time uh, we're going to try and answer some of your questions. We're going to try and put some advice forward. Um, I am going to have to bail on this panel in about ten minutes um, for a prior meeting. Lucky year. for you, I'm here. Lucky for me, yes. And <laughs> lucky for um, listeners and our live audience. Yay. I will just have to find some way to see you at some other point we'll this week. We'll talk. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the biggest, baddest, ugliest problems we've dealt with maybe in our campaigns mm-hmm. uh, and how we've resolved them and let's then let's open it up to at least a few questions because I think I'm hoping people have brought their own toil and trouble for us to resolve we're going to be a Dear Abby game advice columnists I don't know maybe oh, it ensures we talk about the stuff you want to hear yes it does um, so um, I don't know do you want to talk about drama do you want to talk about the campaign that went off the rails boredom I'll say just in the last few weeks, we started to to suffer in my home game, where I am currently not the the full-time GM. Um, My dungeon master since high school, uh, you know, has been running this campaign, uh, a a newer campaign. Ten years long. No, no, no. This one, you know, we're we're at about eighth level. It's a Pathfinder Mm. game. And uh, started to, that all started to seep in, right? You know, the, the same soundtrack literally being played week after week. I like the Lord know. of the Rings soundtrack, and, but yeah, again... Yeah, right, right, right. You know, in this case, it was the Conan soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what I just discovered last weekend was uh, I'm running the House on Hook Street playtest. So I'm like, guys, I'm going to Shanghai the game for a few weeks. I haven't GM'd in, uh, in a few months, so I'm going to Shanghai this game. And... Uh, I'll be darned if, if just a couple of sessions later, Greg doesn't show back up. Oh, I uttered his name. Sorry, mm. you're listening, Greg. Um, and, you know, he bought Sirenscape. Woo! He, you know, just unloaded up on all these things. That's just on the on the you know, frequency, uh, sound Audio level. Side. But suddenly his combats were more descriptive, and, you know, his room descriptions weren't just being read out loud. And, uh, 
I'll be damned if he didn't not only start using the Dwarven Forge that I've invested hundreds and hundreds of dollars into, like many of you probably had, but he, you know, uh, when he needed a hill giant mini, he didn't just grab the nearest dragon and set it down. He actually looked for the, you know, just things like this. Um, so I would say just on a very basic level, and then maybe we move on and not talk about this being the option and get it out of the way, you can always, you know, don't underestimate the power of jealousy and toe-stepping. Because uh, you can certainly shake things up, even if you just let you know someone who's normally a player come in for a couple of weeks and be excited about it and do their thing. Uh, that can really sort of put your normal GM on guard to step up their game until it all starts to fade away again. And, yeah, but you know, the rut I was in was similar. Um, had a long-running city campaign in Zobek, which I love. It's sort of the hub of my home game, but I was bored with it, and I... If you're bored with it. And if I'm bored with it, then I'm not really bringing uh, my best you're game. You're bored with your own. Well, you play it long enough. It's bad, right? You play yeah. anything long enough, you say, I gotta do something. It's like, well, I could nuke it from orbit, or I could invade it, or I could unleash the demonic thing, and you know, those have all been done. So, um, I said, well, what if they left town? My players don't like to leave town. This has been a perennial problem. It doesn't matter who my players are. Like, my high school group doesn't like to leave town. My college group didn't like to leave town. My current group occasionally leaves town. I've been invaded by werelands. Yeah, invaded by werelands. Uh, I did. I pulled a trick, which is something I call the, uh, the holiday adventure. The <laughs> I wanted them to be somewhere else because I was really excited about the Southlands book that we released here at the show. I really wanted them to play around with some of that, and I wanted to put all the big sunshine and the Knoll slavers and the clever Sawali merchants and the sword dancers like in their face. But that's hundreds of miles away. And they said, well, we don't want to go anywhere and start new. I'm like, oh, damn you bastards, leave town. Um, and I finally said, I'm inventing the Cat Slide Alley. It's an alley that when you enter it, you leave the alley in some other town. And that other town is usually the City of Cats, which just happens to be in the Southlands. Um, and of course, this is a horrible GM jerk move, right? I'm saying, screw you guys, I'm putting you where I want you. Right. So I put on my best show of... If I'm sending you on a holiday to the Southlands, I'm making it worth your while. So I ran um, a playtest of this Richard Pett adventure I was really excited about with Noel Merchants and missing artifacts. And I, I did kind of what you were describing, which is I got all excited about, look, Arabian. New and shiny. Yeah, new and shiny. The Temple of Bestet is awesome. There's loot everywhere. There's a river of sand that runs through here. There are tombs outside. There are caravans to plunder. Come on, guys. Work with me, right? And there was one of them who was like, so which alley did we walk in through? And the rest of the party was like, caravans to plunder? You know, they all grabbed at least one hook for a little while. And I think the thing that sold them on this was, I said, listen, out of game, guys. Let's just try it for a week or two. You can go back. Um, and that way it didn't feel like I said, all right, we're changing the whole campaign and you can't go back to your comfort zone, um, which would have pretty much resulted in, you know, it's only a few hundred miles for us to march home. Right. <laughs> or, hey, I have teleport. It's only a have little spell. Yeah, exactly. Well, there's a house rule against teleport. Anyway. <laughs> I've got that rule, too. But I needed a break, and I kind of leveled with them and said, I'm bored, I need a new environment, I guess I could have run a one-shot. 
but I've just teleported you over here to the Egyptian side of things. You know, humor me for a couple of weeks. And that was it, right? I kind of got my mojo back. And I think that speaks to plot hooks in general. Because sometimes you run into a party. It could be a, just a, a particular player, a, a mood that sort of seeps into your party or just your players in general where some groups, some PCs, it might be a couple PCs, just don't take the bait so easily. Right. Sometimes they're just, you know, they're like, that's not what my character would do. Be like, okay, but you're the one in your head who's choosing to make the character not want to do that. Mm-hmm. So my character wouldn't want to do that, so I'm not going to be like, okay, well, then the adventure's over. So, you know, yeah, sometimes you need to have... See you later. Sometimes you do need to have some backup plot hooks because you're a GM, you can't have 17 backup adventures sitting in a pile ready to go. I mean, you could, but not really done very well because presumably, you know, you're not only running canned adventures, at least most people aren't. You can do, you know campaign arcs and you can do you know long things that are published by other companies but if you're doing it yourself and you've spent a lot of time working on it presumably you don't have seven or eight other things prepared and you kind of want the pcs to take the plot hook you gave them so maybe you need a few backups just in case they're not gonna you know take the bait that you put there because sometimes you're dealing with players who just won't take this particular bait they're a little obstinate my character just doesn't want to go there i don't want to do that i don't like caravans i don't ride horses there's no reason for me to do that i don't like her she made a bad impression i don't care about money i won't fight so well and two you have to make sure that you have that initial character buy-in right now um we're turning back toward so it's a conversation that we're we're having right now in my group about what happens next we've agreed that that we're only going to try to go to eighth level with campaigns we're not going to do these these four five six year campaigns and and we're just going to cut it off about eighth level and and so uh, i'm going to be taking the reins of the group um after our current campaign and we're going to be turning back to uh and just an entirely different you know we're pathfinder players and right now we're we're playing pathfinder and Greyhawk, but uh, what is up next that that I'll be running is drastically different. It is uh, Black Death era Europe in a weird sort of analog to our world where the Catholic Church runs everything. Uh, Arcane magic uh, users are burned at the stake. Um, There's really no demi-humans, no orcs, um, very low magic. Uh, The church runs everything. And no creatures of any sort of recognizable um, provenance. So there will be no ogres. There won't be any werewolves. There will certainly be monsters in the darkness that will be rising up. But uh, nothing that my players will be able to recognize from any bestiary. At least they're not going to recognize it. It may very well have come from a bestiary, but they're not going to recognize it. Uh, and it's pretty bizarre. Like there's, you know, it's 13th era equivalent, but there's, they've got ham radios. Uh, they've got radio, crystal radio technology, and and stuff. So I'm kind of, yeah, and firearms. So I'm kind of mixing it up. This sort of paladins with firearms sort of thing, and uh, it's pretty drastically different from the fairly standard fare that we've uh, that we've indulged in since since our youth. And uh, yeah, but I wouldn't be able to do that. I mean, I, and it, it's it's a hard sell to say, all right, you know, you're not going to recognize what this weird thing is. You're, you're not going to know that that's on page 93 of the bestiary. Um, you're not going to, you know, pick up a sword and know that it's a, it's a plus one 
uh, flaming longsword or, or anything. And uh, but I can't just do that at the same time as a, as a game master. I can't just say, well, it's going to be my way or the highway, play or don't. I have to make sure that my players are invested into that. So there has to be this full, you know, disclosure of here's where we're headed. Can you know? I know you really wanted to play that. You know that arcanist, or or you had this this idea for this wizard or this cleric of the certain god, but I really want to. You know, we're we're all, all in our forties now, right? We've done all of that. Can I get you to buy in for this thing that I want to do? And uh, if you get a no, then 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 I don't pursue it. Throw out another idea on the table and see if you can hit it. But you know, that's we're having that conversation right now. So far, it's, it's so good. But you want that buy in. Oh, well, I think if you want to play like a wizard of things that get burned at the stake, you could probably work that into the game in some way. Maybe it's part of like a, a secret witch culture. Absolutely, and, and and you know, I I have one player that wants to do just that. You know, it's funny. You go, uh, you know, all right, I need everybody to pretty much invest in divine, and you always have the one jackass that goes, yeah, well, I want to do that. But again, so so you work around that. But you know, that early investment is what will prevent the later resentment, which is really my point of bringing all that up, is that I show off my brilliant new campaign. It's that... Uh, <laughs> yeah, roll up a character. Um, it's to... It, the, the, the point being the byline there, that, that the, the initial investment, the early investment, uh, will combat the, the later antagonism. So why don't we take it out... Oh, Dari, did you have another question? Uh, second question yeah. that I can't get all quiet about is... You said it was low magic, I think. Mm-hmm. How do you uh, intend to like keep characters relevant with like the magical item bonuses and stuff? Actually, uh, Pathfinder Unchained has a great system for that. That's not an upsell, but yeah, they uh, you know these inherent bonuses uh, yeah. that are real good that kind of keep that kind of ward you off of the the, yeah, the big six. And uh, and I've got this fun little relic system too, where the church kind of controls all the magic items and loans them out to certain people oh, yeah. and and stuff. So yeah, fun. It's all yours. Have fun. Yeah. Use it. So I was thinking maybe, I mean, we could throw out more problems, but it might be more useful yeah. if we solicit some problems you guys are experiencing. Because, um, I mean, I have tips and other things, but I could try to reflect those through the problems you guys are having. So if we could get volunteers. Is written in a Notion script? Uh, Impressive. It's, it's in my uh, nice. Galaxy Note. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So go ahead. Well, if you guys could answer the one that you brought up uh, sure. at the very beginning, which is uh, players don't show up. There's all sorts of semi-satisfactory solutions, but what do you do with the remaining players who say, no, t- I want Bill and Mary to be part of the group, even though they're only here about one-third to half of the time, uh-huh. but I don't like anymore the crap that you come up with about, you know, they go into stasis, they wandered off, you know, especially when we're in the middle of an adventure, that that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever that they would be gone. What do you do about them? At the same time, when those players are telling you, I don't think it's right that they just get pushed along in the sure. exact same way. So, there's something I have a, a particular technique that that I use for that, which is they are in the session, they are fighting, and we are simply not taking into account what they are doing. They're there. They're fighting. I'm just not writing down hit points. They're defending themselves. They're they're carrying gear. They're searching around. Maybe in this particular fight, they were off searching the next room. Or they were uh, stuck, uh, you know, they got stuck in, you know, in the well shaft or, or whatever. So they're not gone. You don't have to say they're in stasis. 
um, and they're still earning experience, but you know, but they're not involved in whatever the current combat is, just so that you're not saying they didn't take any wounds, whatever. And the other thing that I like to do is, you know, if you're in a, if you prefer that everyone earns the same amount of experience, and not everybody does, but if that's your preference, then you can give a specific award. For, that's not experience related for people who show up. It could be something like an action point if you're in a system where it's an action point or a minor boon or a, a potion, like a minor potion, like a Cure Light Wounds potion. Some small thing that's a reward for people who show up who people who don't show up don't get it but it's not such a big deal that people who do show up, you know, there's going to be a, such a big disparity because, you know what, if people only show up half the time then, you know, you're going to have people who are three levels lower than the people who do show up. And if that's not a big deal to you and you don't care about the fact that some people are third level and some people are seventh level, then let that happen. But that way, we just say, these people aren't in stasis. So the, to the first session, they're not in stasis. They're simply not, either not here or they're full defense or they're not. But we're just going to pretend like they're just not being affected by what's happening right now. They could be in the room. They're just, they're just not affected by what's there. Would that work for you? Maybe. You know, but it goes back to the uh, other point about characters at the same time they want them to be there they don't want them in stasis but they're not really satisfied that their characters are progressing the same way well yeah. I, I progress them the same way I, I like static experience I don't like everyone leveling yeah. up at different times uh, my solution to that is to run them not quite that silently I usually have uh, and I had to deal with this uh, all about sharing current experience so um, during the play test which you know we're on a on a time you know uh we're on a deadline here so you know one guy calls in i'm really sorry you know i was tiling my floor and everything messed up so uh so he couldn't make it and we didn't want to cancel and i ran him i just took i got his character sheet actually texted me modern technologies the wonders of um and i just took very basic he had some healing that he could perform some basic combat i'm not really rolling for him but i'm just kind of i've got his his average, you know, damage scribbled out over here, his perception check, and I interact just very lightly with uh, with the party. And uh, and that way he's still contributing but not not full bore, so he's not so uh, oppressive that, you know, the DM's doing wildly drastic uh, maneuvers with this guy that would be out of character and, and, and that, therefore unsettling. That would be what I would... I would amend what I said. I would do it to the extent that I would only use that character for the things that they really do need him for. Right, right. So the truth is, if if it's a large party, there's six or seven people, and he's not got a skill that that party just simply can't survive without. It's just another fighter. No offense to the fighter. This is this is if, especially if we're talking about Pathfinder. And no offense right. to the fighter. You know, maybe maybe we don't need him. Maybe we don't need him. But um, you know. Um, but if he's the cleric and we simply need to have restoration or lesser restoration, otherwise all those shatters are going to take our people down, right. then he can cast a lesser restoration, but maybe he's not doing anything else. Right. Or he's our person with that really high perception check or the person who's going to be able to take our, at our traps, but maybe he's not doing a heck of a lot else. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I usually keep them pretty much they're there, but they're not doing a whole lot. Right. I've got another one, too, but before we go on to the next question, another thing that I've done is... Um, I'm going to say caravan, but I'm not actually referencing the, the Pathfinder caravan rules. Part of 
my ambition for the, the, the new thing I was talking about is that, you know, we're all, again, in our, in our 40s. And I see a, a lot of folks in here closer to my age than otherwise. And, again, we've been doing this a long time. We know we have kids and wives and events and families and such. And so that's going to be more and more common with each passing year that, that the whole group can't get together. And, and what I've done is uh, my campaign is structured kind of on a caravan style where it's this sort of extended journey over the countryside, and we have character pools. For those of you who remember Dark Sun, remember you had, you know, you, you would have sort of concurrent character concepts, and you could sort of swap them out. And that's one thing that, that we're exploring here, where everyone has multiple characters, and... Uh, if you're not there, well, you're back at the caravan. It gives you this really, easy, you know, not oh, they stayed back in the dungeon room three doors down. No, it's literally, well, that's just not part of your job this week. You know, there's people that need tending and healing back in the caravan, while the people that are there wander away to deal with what they do. And I try to not get them in situations where they're going to be stuck on the third level of the dungeon, and the next week the other guy is going to magically show up. So, um, so like that. Um, I'm facing conflict with my games. It's arising out of the conflict and goals of players. I have some players who are very character-driven, very role-playing focused. Others, um, they're there to blow off steam and they want to fight. And uh, both the conflict results in um, the pacing structure doesn't fit either side. Uh, how do you work out a compromise on that? Uh, how do you, you know, do you, do you shed one or the other, or do you flip back and forth, or so, I think that ha I had a uh, game. Anybody here from New York at all? So, there's a great store in New York, in New York called the Brooklyn Strategist. Uh, game designer Jeff LaSala, who's done a lot of work for, uh, I think, maybe Paizo, but also Wizards and novels. Uh, he uh, actually used to work at that store. It's a great gaming space. I think these sorts of stores are popping up all over the place where you can rent. You pay five bucks and you can actually sort of rent space to run your game there for four, for four hours. So people who don't have a really good gaming space, it's got like nice lighting and you can get snacks and you can even take borrow their board games. And um, we had a situation where he wanted to run a really role-playing intensive uh, D&D game. It was, for, it was for the fifth 5e playtest. Um, and we had a few players that just weren't as role-playing intensive. So he kind of catered, he, he lowered it somewhat to brought, brought it into the middle between the role-playing, uh, very role-playing intensive people and the very combat intensive people and found a medium where, you know, we had descriptive combats that allowed the people who were more combat-oriented to really have fun, and relatively frequent ones, but allowed the people who were more role-playing oriented to at least express themselves in combat. And what we found was that because we left it in the middle, where there were a lot of combats, but they were also descriptive, and there were also some of the other things, the people who were more combat-oriented kind of, they, they rose their game. Their game came up. So I feel like if you have a situation where you want people who aren't very role-playing oriented to become more role-playing oriented, you don't have to say, you don't have to, to just keep everything at a combat level, you know, and, and assume they'll never want to role-play. And you also don't have to um, tell the people who maybe don't want to do combat at all, there's not going to be any combat. 
you can make both of them. You can get, you know, you can kind of make them both raise their level a little bit. Maybe those people can le- learn the rules a little bit more and get a little bit better at making characters. Because you know what? There are people who can be snobby about about things and just don't want to learn how to make characters. And there also can be people who just don't want to. They 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 want to tell you what their characters are doing. They don't want to actually say it. We found that after this relatively long campaign, those guys actually raised their game. So the truth is, I don't think you necessarily have to just stay at a low level. Moderate it, and maybe after some time, they're going to raise their game a little bit. That would be my perspective. I deal with that uh, through the use of NPCs largely. I like to put NPCs in peril uh, that maybe need protecting. Uh, in the back of the ranks, if like you that. will. I, like I also, I, uh, my players, and this works for me, it may not work for you, they tend to not just kill the cultists they just captured. They, they kind of drag them around for later questioning. So that works in my favor. And if you can get to a point where, you know, when something needs tending, that way the, you know, fighters and, and, and can get up and hack and slash and the role players can deal with the fallout of, the cultist that's freaking out in the back of the room because you're slaughtering its idol or, or whatever the case may be. So that is one way to give them an, an alternate interaction that's not combat. And also uh, one mechanic that comes to mind is something like the chase mechanic, which has aspects of both yes. combat and, uh, and role play where you're, you have these DC challenges uh, that, that have to be overcome uh, successfully. And they're not always just jump. Uh, so things like that, these chains, a chain of events where uh, it, that is a mixture of combat and and other interactions, and uh, so I would say NPC. Uh, like a that. lot of times it's seen as loose baggage, right? You know, yeah. oh god, I don't want to have to play this damn you know NPC. Yeah. But uh, for for it, when you, when you're faced with players like that, it, it, it comes have, in handy. Have, you can have fun with NPCs. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I I find as a DM, I mean, I am actually naturally more of a player than I am as a DM. I I get into the head of a character of a player as a player character and sort of find myself more almost introverted. I want to be in the mind of one character at a time. But as a DM, I love doing the voices. You can get kind of silly. You can be more extroverted as a DM, maybe because you're a little bit less worried about, like, how much in the thought processes am I of this one character and just be maybe even a little bit more stereotypical and just, like, throw it out there and be a little crazy in those characters. Try to enjoy it, and I find the players respond to that. So... You know, maybe maybe your more combat-oriented characters might come out of their shell if you're a little bit crazy. Deadpool. Um, I'm running uh, Wrath of the Righteous, and I have a player in the early levels. She was a star role player, but now the combat just really overwhelms her, mm. and, and she's really retreating even from the role-playing aspect. Mm. I want to draw her back out because she was... She did a lot of different things than the guys did made the role-playing a lot more interesting than just, you know, a bunch of dudes hacking down the game. Right. Um, any suggestions on how to bring player kind of back in? Well, specifically for that one, you've got the mythic rules you're, you're toying with. Um, I'm going to assume you didn't strip those out. I would uh, really concentrate on what her mythic trials are going to be. I don't know the deeper intricacies of that system, but I know enough about the mythic rules that she's going to have trials that she needs to overcome. And I know a lot of those are going to be hardwired into that AP, but that is definitely... My knee-jerk reaction is investigate what those trials are going to be, map them out, and make sure that they're not just you have to kill the, yeah. the Nimian lion. It, adventure yeah. paths are really tricky. When if you're having trouble with with a problem like this in adventure path, 
it can get challenging if the players are experiencing an issue like that because you're you're kind of stuck in, in in with the kinds of encounters that you're experiencing because you can't you can't just say well we're not really going to do this anymore because you know and go do something else I mean you could you could decide we're not doing this adventure path at all anymore because it's too complicated for her and that's an option but it doesn't sound like an option you want to do want to bring her out more. yeah. So, I mean, maybe maybe the thing is maybe she needs a, a, someone to, to, to spend some time with her and go over her character options for her. I think that's, that's maybe maybe you were sort of getting getting at that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's along the same lines. I, again, I know that the Mythic Trials in a large way are hard part, but when, if you just really sit down and script yeah. that, which you don't need her to necessarily script that, if you, especially if you already know what her interests are, right. uh, you know, just sort of map that out with an eye toward, and change what you need to with an eye toward hooking her interest back in. And uh, do you do you feel like she's comfortable with the rules and her character abilities and the and the overall rule system as it is? To a limited extent, once the game is done, it's back to Warcraft, and she does not acknowledge Pathfinder until the beginning of the next game. Mm. We got the iPad with Hero Lab running for her, so that mm. has helped a lot. So she would able to- would she be amenable to try to having an hour or two outside the game where you spent some time giving her a bit of a tutorial on the rules? I think she would if I could. I think that might help. I found that people who are having trouble with the rules do tend to benefit from a quick, like, a few of the more complex systems, especially if you're finding them to be causing problems in the game, might be helpful. I mean, and that, what what, what Brandon suggested, clearly would be helpful because Mythic is really quite complicated. Yeah. Um, but maybe some of the basic, more basic rules might be bogging the game down also. So maybe a quick refresher on some of those might help too. What's your character? I'm curious. You don't like this all with Oracle. I mean, you you've got a long way to. I mean, not a long. You've got a lot of stuff to play with there. I mean, just bring her God front and center. I would do that real quick. Mm-hmm. Wish I'd known that before. <laughs> say, th- th- this all also assumes that the that the problem is at the table. If one player is completely changing their play style, there could be things going on in the life that has nothing to do with the game. True. True. Yes. Yep. Well, someone in back. Yep. Um, so one of my problems I find is my players forget what happens. I go, <laughs> <laughs> it could be a week, mm-hmm. and I have one guy <laughs> who forgot, or who remembers everything, others forget. So I started implementing a, you know, you guys do a recap thing. And That's wise. a good recap gets a bonus bit of XP. Mm-hmm. Not a lot, not game changing. But even then, they still try and forget, like, actually, one of them's coached the other one on the recap, but even then, like, he's not remembering so. I, I saw a really fantastic solution to this problem in a campaign that I played back uh, a couple years ago, um, for Eberron, actually, um, in which the, the DM asked the each week a PC to write up the events that happened in the previous campaign from that character's perspective. Not the PC, specifically from the character's perspective. So you still got the events that happened, but they were specifically through the lens of the particular character, which had a bit of a role-playing element because the the, the PC got to throw a few jokes in Mm -hmm. about how their character would have seen the events, but then, and then... The, the DM sort of published it to a blog spot or a WordPress or something like that and we had an ongoing, like, this is a very long campaign, ongoing thing and um, that PC got an extra you know, uh, I don't know, action point or, because it was Eberron, so it was an action point or, or whatever, because we didn't really want the PCs to have disparate experience, but um, 
you know, so, and that was how we kept up with it. But the DM could write that themselves, assuming they don't want to. Right. Um, it's a way of encouraging the PCs to do it, and that way you have an, a running thing that PCs can read throughout the whole campaign if they want to go back and say, what's happened in the last ten sessions? I concur, and, and I'll tell you where we do it. Uh, we have a secret MySpace, um, MySpace, Facebook page uh, <laughs> for that. And so not only does that Facebook page, because we're all on it, right, facilitate communication throughout the week and kind of keep people fresh, I do exactly what you just suggested. Like, I, I let them take turns talking about these events. If they're not willing to, I'll, I'll run a brief recap. But we play every Sunday night, so... Uh, and even then, there can be, you know, that forgetfulness would set in. But once we made that, that Facebook page, it became a, a, a private forum for us to share dick jokes, but also, <laughs> you know, you know and, and taunt one another and, you know, uh, but also recap and, and talk about the game and just keep it on our minds throughout the week. And not, you know, we don't spend all day chatting on it, but, you know, there's a daily post of something. And I found that it, incre it actually improved the overall role playing because some of the catchphrases and the things those characters tended to say a lot mm -hmm. became things. Because if you know you're doing well in a campaign if, you know, by a certain point, every PC knows the name, every actual player knows the names of every one of the characters. Mm -hmm. If you don't have to think about it, if you just know, if you know every, you know, looking at every player around the table, you know the names of their characters, who they are, what they can do you know, instinctually, and you know the kinds of things they say and who they like and what they don't like. And these sorts of blogs, uh, you know, or, or, or recaps tend to do that. So, you know, if you're trying to really... And, and that's a, a great thing for those more fighty types because especially if they're like, I love being violent, you let them write it from the violence perspective. Like, why did we stop to talk to that merchant? We should have just killed him. Right. <laughs> let them write that. They should have. Yeah. He was obnoxious. Uh, go ahead. Prophecies. <laughs> have a prophecy. You something know, that would unite the PCs. It doesn't have to be a prophecy, but I use the term prophecy as sort of the... the yeah. It doesn't have to be a de de yeah, something quite that obvious, but it's a pretty common technique for finding something that... I like the prophecy because it's, you know, these five people were destined to do this, and it gives them a reason to investigate a particular thing, uh, you know and get together and, and think that they're linked in some way because, she, you know, she's going off and thinking that she's supposed to be in the forest to find her, you know, elven heritage, and he's going off looking, searching for the loot in that sewer, and this one's going off and trying to um, rob those nobles and whatever, and they're all disparate, but when you give them some reason to stay together, then, you know, they're going to have some better reason to stay together. So whether it's a prophecy or, um, you know, a, you know, I don't know, a castle, give them a home base, you know, find some specific reason that they want to they want to either stay in the same place or investigate the same thing, or you know, some something like that. Yeah, the common threat we, we faced this uh, in this last campaign with um, a player who got intently interested in his fishmongering business. <laughs> he was the party rogue. He was a new player, 
And, uh, you know, about level four, he was like, well, I'm going to start investing my money in, in a fish market. And, you know, I was doing this. And, and, I mean, got to the point where, well, I don't want to go to the dungeon. I want to. I want to sell fish. I'm like really interested in this, and uh, so that was the hook. Yeah, the, uh, uh, the the GM pulled something very clever. Well, actually, you've been getting these very strange catches lately, and you know there seems to be something in the water that's tainting the fish. Oh, people are no longer buying your fish. But it wasn't a screw you stop selling fish. It was a now my business that I'm intently interested in and have a lot invested into is suffering. Why is that? Oh, it just happens to be the guy that the other players are interested in going and taking care of because he's dumping toxic sludge into the harbor or whatever the case may be. So, well, you know, just you know, so you know. So yeah, trying to and 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 you as a GM, you have the power to do that. It might take several sessions to pull that off and start putting those things in place. But you know. And again, you're not trying to destroy. Let me, you know, emphasize. You don't want to kill the guy's fishmongering business. You want him to keep selling fish. You just need to get him away from it, so he yeah. can continue to adventure with the we rest. We had of the group. alluded to those PCs that might seem resistant to the plot hook. So, I mean, you don't have to force them on. I mean, I had. I can speak to a very recent example of a. Uh, I, I was playing. Still have an old 3.5 campaign, and the DM decided that he wanted to. Want everybody to be pushed 900 years into the future and lose all of their equipment. Hmm. These are 11th level characters. That's harsh. Because at that level, you know, losing all of your equipment is really rough, especially for, like, wizards who have spell books. And yeah. So, you know, 3.5, you're very dependent on your equipment. So that might have been a mistake for him because, you know, that's very railroady. He, so he decided to send an uh, epic Dracolich. And, you know, who rents space and time and, like you, you know, very railroady. You can be slightly railroady. You know, a prophecy or a plot hook where the, the, the slightly off on the side PC gets linked back to the other PCs via a plot where it really is the same villain, but, you know, he doesn't know that or maybe he does know that, whatever, or a prophecy or, or you know, whatever. So just find, find, find some way of looking at it. In our brains, we take, you know, People are computer programmers or whatever. We, we're, we're all of us gamers. We tend to be over analytical. We get tangled in our in our threads and can't think of a way of, of pulling ourselves out. And sometimes you you can find a blunt but simple solution to it and not worry about you know is that too obvious? Well, that's okay. Maybe it's okay to just to just. I would say obvious. too resurgence of earlier threats is another tactic I really love to employ. Yes. You know that goblin tribe that they slaughtered at second level has done something in the six levels since then and uh, bringing them back. So that so an interest they had early on that has now been defeated and abandoned, bringing that back may draw their interest back. Yeah. In. Have you ever had anyone in your campaign run away? Like, did, did you ever, did the orc, you know, did you fight six orcs at second level and one of them ran away? Right. Well, maybe that orc found, became the chieftain of another tribe. Exactly. Um, and now you're, you know, eighth level and he's a, you know... He's a shaman. He's been working out. Yeah, he's been working out. Um, anytime you name an NPC, PCs. yeah, yeah there, there's a few programs that I recommend that people check out. One of them, I think I wrote it down. Scabbard is one of them that I, I recommend. It's a web-based campaign manager. Um, so, and it lets you uh, upload your maps. 
upload. So it's a place to put names of any location, PC, anything that you, you ever create in your campaign. So anytime you write down the name of anything, I, you, you can just put it in there. Uh, I created a new inn called the Wandering Badger. Put it in there. Where was it? You know, what was called? Write a few notes about it. It's now in there. And then throughout your campaign, instead of just randomly scribbling notes or not writing anything else down, I think they have an app for it and it's a website. You know, this, there are a whole bunch of different programs like this. But these are the kinds of things that if you want to, if you get used to using them, they really can make your life a lot easier. Because I find that as a DM, I always want to try to create a, an environment where I'm trying to make things feel realistic, but at the same time give myself the option to be spontaneous. And this sort of program allows yourself to take the notes on the fly and then reuse things later on when you want to to create a sense of continuity. Because PCs love feeling like the world is going on outside of them. But at the same time, also feel like you're, you're flexible enough to adapt the world to what they're doing. So, you know, they don't want to feel like, okay, well, you know, the DM has decided what's going to happen before I even make a decision. Right, right. But at the same time, they also don't want to feel like, you know, you're completely willy-nilly randomly deciding what's happening, you know, off the top of your head like this is some sort of Alice in Wonderland crazy land. Because mm-hmm. that's no fun. And I've got to endorse the sound of that program because one issue that, despite me saying, yeah, make a Facebook page, it, you know, oftentimes, oh, this merchant that you recognize from third level just popped back up and we all go, crap, crap, crap. And we're scrolling, 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 trying to find that Facebook post from, you know, six months previously. So that happens every once in a while. Right. It's like, crap. Anything that can make it easier for you to organize stuff as a DM, I think is a great thing because... You know, it's just so hard, and you're adults, and you don't have a lot of time. So, you know, I like that sort of thing. So, any more? Pro- how much time do we have left? About ten minutes. About ten, ten minutes. minutes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Um, so, one thing I always struggle with is, uh, like, the very beginning of the campaign, going from these are four folks who happen to be in the same place at the same time to this is a party who works together and know each other. Mm-hmm. How, like, what process do you use? So, I have a few things that I do. Um, one one thing I ask PCs to do is there's any number of websites that you can go to to find it varies from 20 questions to 100 questions I like the 100 oh, questions yeah. thing ask PCs to fill them out this gives the PCs a very good I, I understanding of what their characters are like and the reason why you do that is because it gives them a reason to have a better idea of why they might interact with each other and once they do that then ask them to decide pick Two other people. Every PC should have at least two, minimum one, but preferably two other PCs that they know. Not more than two, though. So, you know, you don't want everybody knowing everybody else. So you want some overlap with each person. So that way, you know, there's pre-existing relationships. You do want to make it clear to the PCs, though, these relationships are not meant to imply that Bob knows Sue and Mary and should not become friends with the other PCs. No, I mean, that loyalty is so strong that you should treat right. those two better throughout the rest of the campaign because I've seen that become a problem. So it is not, you know, loyalty above all else forevermore. But, you know, find ways to link the characters in advance and also ask them to answer questions about themselves, and that can even serve as their background. I like PCs to write maybe a page. Some people, I mean, I've been known to write... 60,000 word character mm-hmm. backgrounds, but you don't have to write a novel, but you know, you can. But maybe write about a page or a few paragraphs explaining a little bit about the background of your character. Or if they don't want to do that, they can just answer the questions. That way, they've both fleshed out their character as well as found a couple of links to the existing PCs. Then you don't really have to link them to the PCs in game because you've already done it. 
I, I do the same, and uh, I, I do a 25-question questionnaire for standard campaigns, and otherwise I rely on desperation. Uh, <laughs> the, I mean, the, the, the can, my current campaign is, I mean, it's a very dark and dangerous place, and they don't really have the option of being fishmongers. They're trying to survive, and so, you know, they're just linked by sheer necessity. I think also with that is a level games, like, not people want to commit too much to a low-level character, maybe not going to survive, or they just don't really have ideas, it's still growing, so as the character grows, they'll grow with ideas what they want to impart with that character as well, I think. Well, that's why those 25 questions shouldn't be about shouldn't be like what is the greatest achievement that you've ever had in your long and storied career or what's your you know you, even a first level character does have an achievement yeah. that achievement might be turnips it might be the, it might right, award winning turnips yes it might be it might be the best crop that my family ever produced on our farm it might be the first time I ever successfully hunted a deer in the forest that might be their greatest achievement. It might be asking, you know, asking Mary out on a date. You know, that might be young Philip's greatest achievement. You know, Mary's greatest achievement might be um, learning to play um, that very difficult piece of music. Or um, her greatest achievement might also be successfully going on. Or maybe the PC doesn't start their adventuring career until you know, 42 because they yeah. haven't done anything. Sure. May, or maybe it's starting your fishmongering business. And I, was, I don't know. Yeah, for our playtest, it, it amazed me. Everybody showed up with middle-aged characters, and we're all middle-aged guys. But you know, we've been playing seventeen-year-olds perpetually since <laughs> since seventeen. And everybody, I was, it, it blew my mind. I was really, I've been thinking about the psychology of that. Everybody showed up with a, yeah, you know, I was, you know, I just so, didn't do anything. Until so then. yeah, I agree with you that that you do want to leave room to develop your character, but at the same time, think about it. Just because you're starting your adventure, that that is a trope. And it's a, a trope people like that your first level character's got a lot of room to grow in your life experiences. But at the same time, most of these campaigns, even though you're going from one to eight or twelfth or eighteenth level over the course of six months or twelve months, think the majority of your character's life up until first level has taken place over seventeen, eighteen, twenty, twenty-five years, and the remaining eighteen levels are going to happen in two years. Try to slow that down. In any case, that's just general <laughs> advice. Try to slow the. You know, it's one thing about adventure paths. Being an adventure path author, it, it, it still irks me because I try to just really. So, in the last six months, you know, uh, it's adventure path, yeah, the three months. Oh, yeah, sorry, you know, over here. Um, I actually use, um, I search for mine for actors. So, like, when you're portraying a character, ask 100 questions, or, or actually for novels. Uh, answer these 100 questions about your protagonist. And you can use the same, the same uh, questions for your RPG. I'm sure there's RPG ones, but just search, do, run a Google search for um, uh, 100 questions for, for the protagonist of your novel. Yeah, and you can tailor it to the setting, too. Yeah. So, yeah. so if it's an Eberron campaign, you can then add in, oh, yeah, and what did you do in the last war? Right, yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. Uh, my question is, I have a player that is uh, very enthusiastic about crafting and that sort of thing, but it uh, definitely drags down the table. No, none of the other players are really engaged, but they're needed there for questions about, oh, what, what, what do you want crafted, that sort of thing. How do you guys suggest handling that sort of uh, situation? Out of game? In your Facebook blog? <laughs> yeah, that, I, that actually does help. 
uh, and we do. I mean, that's what we we do on our on our Facebook page. But also, you can work a lot of that into the games when it comes to rare material components and that sort of thing. Try to work that into what you know as a GM is going to be your future destination. So the other thing I would suggest would be make the importance and value of that person more important, stronger to the people to the PCs by doing something like having them have to go on an adventure with this person to find rare metals or something. So right. that's something you could do where let be like, you know, value the fact that this person is is so is so important to them by, you know, by like, you know, we have to go to find this stuff because, you know, they're 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 investing all of this time and and effort and we need to go on an adventure in order to achieve this. It shouldn't just be like, wow, I want to do this work for you and you don't care and you're thinking it's a waste of time. Whereas in reality, if you think about it, would you think that somebody who spent all this time making stuff for you, would you would you think about it as a drag and, and boring and, and would you be criticizing them? Or would you think, wow, you just spent 20 hours crafting right. magic armor for me and I'm criticizing you and thinking it's boring and a drag? Or if you're... If you're you know, if your friend crocheted, you know, a blanket for you and or, or whatever, I don't know what people crochet, but, uh, you know, would you be thinking that it was boring or a drag or would you be really grateful, especially in a town, in a place where people actually needed that? Okay, so I'm a player in that campaign. Um, <laughs> the world is dying. We're being invaded and he wants to spend... Sounds like my kind of campaign. Okay, that's yes. a better point. Always context matters. <laughs> yes. So um, I think in that case you have to say no more crafting. Or you can't find what you need. Yeah. He's crafting a better world. Either that or... <laughs> I, either that or there needs to be a... Is, is there something that so needs to be crafted to save the world? Because if there isn't, then no more crafting. For doing the end of the world aren't really adequate. Crocheting a better hat is great. While the end of the world is happening, maybe you need a better cookbook. reality Right. Unless unless this something needs to be crafted to save the world, no more crafting. Yeah. If you want to work in the fact that this person needs to craft something to save the world, you can do that. But if that's not part of the, what you're willing to do, then that's it. Start burning villages. Oh, you were making your crochet in your hat. You do that's sometimes. Right, right, right. Sometimes yeah. the, yeah, sometimes the DM needs to, to put, burn a village. Yeah, <laughs> some, sometimes as a DM, you need to put your foot down and tell the player no more. Yep. And handle it during the week. Yep. On call, Facebook. Yeah, you can. I if you don't want to embarrass the player or cause conflict and drama during the game, um, especially if you've had a repeated issue with this, then you know, call them, email them, talk to them on Facebook, whatever it is, and just say, you know, I really understand this is really important to you, uh, and I get it. It's crafting is fun. It's not part of what we're doing right now in the game, and I need you to just understand. If you want to replace the crafting feat. You know, make a compromise. You can say, I'll let you replace crafting with great fortitude or with um, uh, some other magic feat or whatever it is. If you want to make a compromise to encourage them not to have that feat anymore, if it's a feat, I don't know. He's an artificer. Yeah. 3.5. So. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Well, so that's problematic because you've got somebody whose whole job is kind of making stuff. Yeah, it is their whole job. <laughs> but, hmm. you know, um, then I would suggest the whole crafting something to, to, to save the world. That's my suggestion. Tell them to roll up an occultist from Occult Adventures. <laughs> Craft to save the world. That's just, that's just the, 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 the thing that's going to fix that. I uh, think that wraps it up for us, yep. ladies and gentlemen. Yep. Anybody so who has any little things, we're, we're here for a couple minutes. If you guys yep. have any personal things you want to ask about. But... Do you want to um, Yeah. Sure. Sure. Why not? Oh, okay. 
Thank you for listening, and if you enjoyed the show, please consider using our Amazon and D&D Classics affiliate links found on the show notes at thetomeshow.com. Thanks again, and keep gaming.